0: Good morning, thank you for joining us today. Here's what's happening at Gateway Community Church. The holiday season may be over, but we still have one more gift for you. Right now, media gives you access to free Bible studies and video content for you, your family, and even your small group. Go online and create your account today. Deeper Weekend for Students is coming up soon. This in-town weekend retreat is a time for them to go deeper in their faith. Sign your students up now and let us know if you'd like to host a group in your home. We are currently gearing up for our upcoming church-wide experience, MOVE, Study, Studying James Together. Listen closely because this is very important. Join a MOVE group. Starting on January 28th, we will be starting a six-week series on the book of James. It is important that you join a MOVE group in order to follow along in the study. MOVE group sign-ups begin on January 21st go to the next steps area or go online to join a group if you are interested in hosting a move group orientation dates are on january 14th and january 21st we are excited to see what god has in store for us in the study of james some final dates to keep on your radar is super bowl sunday on february 4th and a night of worship with baptisms on february 9th those are perfect days to invite a friend so mark your calendars and we hope to see you there Stay up to date with the latest news in your bulletin or visit our website at gateway-community.org.
1: Thank you for being here and welcome to your journey. I do want to uh, echo what Brandon said encouraging us about uh, All Out Serve, which is two weeks, two weeks away. I think it's going to be a great opportunity to love our community. And That's really what we're called to do as followers of Jesus Christ, not to just simply wait for the church to say, but to say, here's what we can do. and Whether it's with a small group or you yourself or whatever, hope you will. Uh, Also, uh, if I sound a little different, it's not because they tuned me differently. I have a cold. Um, I I don't feel bad, but uh, I do sound a little more like Barry White, which has always been one of my Barry White. I've always wanted, I mean, that guy just, I, you just, anyway. <clears throat> if I cough, that's not very White, but if I sound low and, and all that, it, that might be. I wonder if he was a Christian, I don't, I don't know. I hope so. Um, I do remember b- being at what was then the Adams Mark Hotel, in West Houston back in 1984, listening to Tony Campolo speak to a large group of volunteers and staff, church staffs, about youth ministry. I was there as a volunteer in the church that I was serving. I was still working as an engineer, and um, that afternoon I ran into a guy I'd known from high school. Um, Very surprised to see him. Uh, He was working in a student ministry Outside of the church, but he was doing that, and um, not long after talking to him—I mean, literally minutes after talking to him—I—I had this sense, this impression suddenly that came upon me that I could be doing that too, and and it was so out of the blue, and so far from what I had planned for my life that, quite honestly, it kind of freaked me out, and and yet. Over the coming days and weeks, I couldn't escape it. The, the idea kept popping into my head <clears throat> on the freeway, at home, in the shower, wherever it might be. And, and it bothered me because I wanted to make money. And the idea of being a pastor didn't seem very promising for that. But the thought wouldn't leave me alone. And so I, I, I was attending a church, obviously, and I, started, I spent some time over the next several months trying to discern... God, are you really doing this? Is this you? And are you calling me to ministry? Or is there something in my life that I am running from? And finally, on a backpacking trip in the Sawtooth Mountains of Idaho in, in early September of that year, I, I remember the, the group of us, we were coming down a switchback, which is, just means going back and forth, back and forth. Uh, and and I, just, I finally said, okay, God, I surrender. When we get back to Houston, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to enter the ministry. And that was the culmination of a couple of years, really, ever since I'd committed my life to Christ, not just to be my savior, I think I had done that earlier, but to, to make him the Lord of my life, that I would be obedient to him in all things, and to do his will, no matter where it led me. And it has been a continuing journey for me, it it didn't just stop there, it didn't suddenly happen, I've sought to continually and genuinely listen for God and wait on him. And I have to confess that that, uh, other times, in fact, lots of times in my life, I've come up with my own ideas, and, and they seem good to me, they seem like, God, you ought to like this, so I asked God to bless what I wanted to do. Even if I told myself, and I told him, that I was doing it for him. James talks about this at the end of chapter four. So I wanna invite you to open your Bibles to James four, verse 13, or you, you can use the YouVersion Bible app or pull out the notes that are in your bulletin that have the scriptures and places there for you to fill in the blank, if that's helpful to you. So in James chapter four, beginning in verse 13, he writes, now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city and spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why do you not even know what, why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, James is using the example of a businessman here who is confidently planning a business trip, a business venture that he believes will make himself money. Seems pretty ordinary. In fact, a lot of folks would say, that's what I do all the time. That's my life. And James could have used other real-life examples. It's not limited to a businessman. It's wherever we are planning. But But he too often saw something in people's attitudes that concerned him. He says in verse 16, as it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Now, I I gotta tell you, when I first read verse 13 and what the, the businessman says honestly, it didn't really strike me as boasting and bragging. But James reminds us of something important in verse 14. He says, we do not even know what will happen tomorrow. We can make all kinds of plans. And they can be good plans and and as far as business is concerned or any other area of our lives. But the truth of the matter is none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Jesus tells us when we take tomorrow for granted, when we use our lives in ways that don't honor God, we may be very disappointed with the results. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus told the crowd a story. He said, a rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Implication, as I read that, is that this rich man wasted his life because he focused on his plans, his wealth, versus what God could do through him. And let's be clear, neither, neither Jesus nor James <clears throat> is against hard work, nor against wealth itself, nor are they saying that planning is wrong. Instead, they're talking about the attitude behind that's the issue whether it's for bragging rights or in order to get lots of stuff or for the love of money, which the Bible says is the root of all evil, or thinking we we have more control in life than we really do. It's a problem, James says, when God, who created us, created all that there is, all that we see, all that we can imagine, knows how our lives can work best, and yet he gets left out of our planning. James says, in fact, we are like a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We have very little control. We're only kidding ourselves if we think we do. Just a few weeks ago, a, a pastor friend of mine, younger than me, you know, this is where it starts to really kind of hit home, started serving a large church up in Kingwood last summer. Suddenly, out of the blue, had a heart attack. Never recovered. Don't know that he even regained consciousness. And Last weekend, he passed away. He was young. He, he, he was doing all the right things. You know, no one plans to die in a car wreck or get cancer or have their spouse leave them and yet when they happen often suddenly lives are just turned upside down. Life is a gift, but not a single one of us is promised that it will go the way we want, that we'll always get what we want when we want it. And that's what James is concerned about. He sees people, even Christians, giving into what we talked about last week, this secular worldly worldview that somehow we're in control and and that their plans are going to always happen. And yet they overlook the actions and sins of others, the realities of living in a sin-filled world, much less God's own sovereignty and His, his plans for each one of us. I mean, in January of 1984, I had no clue that a month later, I would start sensing a call from God that would eventually lead me to sell my house, sell my Firebird, quit my engineering job, and head off to a part-time ministry job in Tyler at one-third of my previous income while attending and paying for graduate school, for seminary in Dallas. I mean, I remember how, how shocked I was when I first sensed what I learned was my calling. I sure didn't see it coming. And James says, we are kidding ourselves. If we think we can say with confidence what's going to happen a year from now, much less a day from now. He says in verse 15, instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Now, that may sound like a subtle change, but it's actually a very significant change. Ultimately, everything in our lives needs to be secondary to God and His will. And that doesn't mean, though, that we just sit back with what one scholar called a passive fatalism, sitting around waiting for God to carry out His plans. James is reminding us that that God holds the future in his hands and no amount of reading the tea leaves is going to tell us with certainty what's going to happen. What's going to happen next year? What's going to happen next week? What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen in two minutes? Only God knows that. How often have you made a plan for your day and you get an hour in and... Something happens it changes everything. Maybe something bad, but maybe something that opens up incredible opportunities that is it, it's fantastic. It can go either way. As much as we may think we can control things, life keeps showing us that we don't. Proving any pride or arrogance that we might have about how we're in control, about how we can manage, about how we can get through things is misplaced. Proverbs 27.1 says, don't brashly announce what you're going to do tomorrow. You don't know the first thing about tomorrow. Twice in the Apostle Paul's letters, first letter to the Corinthians, he tells them he wants to come see them, but, but look how he says it. In chapter four, he says, but I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And in chapter 16, at the end of the book, he says, I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits Sounds an awful lot like James submitting his plans to God. Because he's learned that God has a way of teaching us that we aren't gods, he is God. James is reminding us that followers of Jesus, Christians, trust God, we we depend on him each day day, knowing he has a plan for our lives. And so we seek that out versus coming up with our own plan and saying, hey, God, I got this great plan. Would you bless it for me? And I confess, that's something I I can't even tell you how many times I've done. I have done it with the best of intentions. I have done it in the church. I said, this is a great plan. God, you ought to like this. Would you please bless it? But if Jesus is Lord of our lives, then then he has a claim as as well as a plan for how we live our lives. And we should always seek his will and be prepared to surrender our plans, especially when life throws us a curve. Even Jesus demonstrated this after the Last Supper when when he went to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. In Matthew 26, it says, Jesus fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father. If it is possible, may this cup be taken away from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. We are called to seek God's will. And even as we pray for things, we we believe we need. We temper that as James, as Paul, as Jesus did, acknowledging and no matter what way we think we need, our first desire must be God's will, not ours. I hope you hear the difference here. And for some of you, this is the way you live your lives. But some of you, though, this may sound like semantics. But it really is a radically different way of living we don't choose a job or, or a neighborhood or a mate for life and then say, oh, God, by the way, look how fortunate I was. Would you bless my choice? Thinking that we've somehow covered our bases and God's going to be pleased because we at least asked him. That's not seeking his will. To be honest, it's kind of a self-serving worldview that actually takes us further away from God because we believe it's okay for us to make our plans apart from him, which means he's not Lord over our lives. Now, admittedly, if you have not made Jesus Christ Savior and Lord of your life, this, this, this whole line of thought that James is carrying here may not make a lot of sense to you, but I want I want you to hear that God has a plan and a hope for you, for you and your life, just like those of us who have committed our lives to Jesus Christ. And we begin, believe it begins with putting our faith in Christ and trusting him. He loves you so much. He loves you like he loves Christians. Certainly no less. He cares about your life. He has a desire for you to find the fulfillment he created you for, to live the life that he knows is possible. Not necessarily always an easy life, but a full life, a blessed life, an abundant life. If you want to learn more about that, please, after the service, talk with our prayer team down here. They would love to talk with you about that. But for those of us who are Christians, the decision to follow Christ was for us to make him both our savior, in other words, the one who saves us from our sins for all eternity, but also to be his disciples who make him our Lord, that we choose to trust him and follow him in all our decisions, seeking to become more and more like him and doing his will. And as we progress on that, you now the, the reality is, if you've been doing this for a while, it, it becomes easier to avoid breaking his commandments. They've become clearer to us. We want what he wants. The Bible, God's word is explicit about these things. Don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't lie. Now, I'm not not saying that all those explicit commandments are easy, but they are clear. And over time, if we're seeking him more and more, he enables us, honestly, to avoid more and more of those sins. But a danger is that over time, we may start feeling pretty good about how we're progressing in avoiding these obvious sins, feeling like we're doing God's will pretty well. And we may even feel like, well, he ought to be pretty pleased with how I'm doing. After all, I'm not like those people or those bad people that we saw on the news or those folks that live in that part of town. Let me, let me tell us something here really important we are holding ourselves up to only part of God's standard. Jesus says the whole law can actually be summed up not in thou shalt nots, but in loving God and loving our neighbor. And that brings us to the second side to doing his will and it's actually a whole lot more challenging and James addresses it here in what is also our, our memory verse for this coming week. Verse 17, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. James says it's, it's not only a sin when we break God's laws, what we would typically call sins of commission, but that it is also sin when we fail to do his will what is commonly called sins of omission. When we sense God leading us to reach out to someone who is hurting and we fail to do so, when we fail to stand up for that student who's being made fun of by other students, when we fail to be kind to our wife or our husband or our kids because we're tired, we're not just missing out on an opportunity. When we fail to care for the down and out of society, the widows and orphans and poor, in all of those areas, James says, we are sinning. Now, let that sink in for a minute. If, if I'm not seeking God's will and doing it, and remember all through James, it's always about not just what we think, but also what we do. I'm just doing my own thing. James says that's actually sin, that I'm not trusting God, but myself. When I fail to love another person, when I fail to serve though I can, when I fail to share how Christ worked in my life because of an opportunity, it's sin. James is stating what his half brother Jesus taught in a parable. In his last week here on earth, where he contrasted two groups of people, it's found in Matthew 25, beginning in verse 34, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and close you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. And then Jesus continues on speaking to a second group who did not do all these things. And he sums it up this way. Verse 45, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, James isn't saying, Jesus isn't saying we lose our salvation when we fail to do the good he ought to do. But if our lives are consistently lived that way, James would say, hey, buddy, you need to question if you ever truly made a commitment to Jesus Christ. Did you just say the words and check the box? Did you just do it because your friends were doing it because it seemed like the end thing to do? Because that's not how Jesus nor his disciples live their lives. Our week three memory verse reminds us, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. I want to tell you, James chapter 4, verse 17, to me, is one of the most troubling verses in all of Scripture because it reveals the depths of sin that we all battle and how easy it is to deceive ourselves that we're doing well. He is exposing our hypocrisy and and in so doing shows us why humility is such a fundamental part of the Christian's life. Thinking I can handle my life myself or, or that God's so busy that I'll just take care of it so he doesn't have to, fails to seek God's will in my life and ultimately the Bible says that is sin. Yet what could lead to a sense of despair is also the opportunity, if we look at it that way, to drive us back to God, to confess our inability on our own to do his will and our absolute need for him to supernaturally transform our hearts. The answer to our struggle is to do God's will and, and not sin is to ask him to help us do his will every time he reveals some way that we can love those around us. Have I sensed God opening a door for me to help a coworker or a neighbor or a, a, a student or a family member? I mean, these are, these are, in fact, the most typical venues where this stuff gets lived out and yet we fail. I, I fail. Yesterday afternoon, I'm driving back from Lowe's And there's a car. And I noticed it going by. There was nobody there. I noticed coming back. There was a car. It had a flat. And there was a lady standing there. And suddenly it was like. God said. You ought to check on her. But I was in a hurry. I had a lot to do. I had a busy afternoon. I was trying to get it all done. And I drove on. Now. Now. She may have already called for help. Somebody may have been right around the corner. I don't know. But I do know. I didn't go back and check. Later that evening, some of you know, our yards aren't in the best of shape right now. And our dogs, I mean we have a choice. We can let them stay out long enough and clean them up when they come in there or not let them stay out long enough and clean up inside. And we've been struggling with that. And my sense of smell is not particularly good. And right now it's terrible. But my wife Susan decided yesterday our dogs needed a bath. And I'd I'd been doing all this stuff and I'd just finished working on some finalizing of this stuff and I came down and I was tired And I was ready to sit down and relax. And she said, would you come help me wash the dogs? And my first thought was no. (laughs) But I didn't say that. And in fact, I did help some. And, you know, that's the world you and I live in. It's, it's that we're, we're, we discover moments every day. It's not just the big picture things. It's the little things. It's the daily things. And yet at the same time, have I sensed maybe, is there an area in my church where I could serve? I'll tell you right now, due to some things happening in, in the lives of some of our regular volunteers in the nursery We need some additional volunteers in there for the next month or so to hold and love on babies and toddlers. And as I say that, some of you sense in this moment, yeah, I I, I could do that. And then immediately, kind of like me, but, and we got all the things that will keep us from doing that. Just as I did when I first felt called to ministry, I told God every reason why this was the dumbest thing in the world. And that surely I was misreading him. And yet, when God opens that door, it is both an opportunity for you to love others and if God has put it on your heart, honestly, to avoid sin. Rather than putting it off, hoping that that stirring will go away. And I'm here to tell you, I've done it. Many times. We have to take the opportunity to be faithful in that moment and even grow our faith by obeying when we feel that leading, that sense. Not to put it off, not to delay. I think the more you and I delay, the less often God calls. The less often God calls, the less we experience his grace and his power in our lives. And we end up with lives that are nominally Christian and there's no power and no joy. And there are tens of thousands of Christians in our community that live that life every day. And my challenge for us is let's not be satisfied with that. We are called to so much more. To use our lives in often ways that don't seem like a big deal or or. That anybody else would particularly notice. Sometimes we're called to do big deal stuff, but there's something even more important that God has us do that's small. You know, Billy Graham was on a couple of occasions asked to run for the Senate of the United States. They said, Billy, you have such a voice, such a following, you would have a huge impact. And there's no question that that would have been true. But Billy said, I know what God has called me to do and that's what I'm going to do. No matter how tempting, no matter whatever it may be. I read this week about a delegation that came to meet with President Lincoln during the Civil War. and In the course of the conversation, a minister said, I hope that the Lord is on our side. And Abraham Lincoln really surprised him and a lot of people because this is what Lincoln said. I am not at all concerned about that. For we know that the Lord is always on the side of the right. But it is my constant anxiety and prayer that I and the nation should be on the Lord's side. Not, hey God, bless what I'm doing. Hey God, what do you want me to do? Our scripture memory verse this week is the, the one that's so troubling, that's challenging. James 4.17. Say it with me. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. James 4.17. I encourage you to memorize that. and Make it a part of your life because it is God's word. It's not there to punish us, it's not there to lead to these horrible feelings of guilt. It's there to teach you and me how to be more like Jesus. More and more, every day, wherever we are. If you need to talk to somebody about that, our prayer team will be down here in just a moment. It's so cool to me that, you know, Part of our move series is in two weeks all out serve because it is a call for us to love our neighbors. And I thought last year when we did it for the first time, I thought we need to plan this all out. But the thing is then we make you dependent on the church to figure it out. You are in, a, you are in the best position to know what you can do to love those right around you better than the church will ever figure it out. And whether you're in a group or, or in a family unit or even by yourself, you can do something. And that's why we're doing that. Practice. (laughs) Practice makes perfect, maybe. But practice breaks us out of old molds and pushes us beyond our comfort zone to do God's will. And that's why it's a big deal. And we hope you'll be a part of that. If you're visiting, if you're a guest today, I and some friends will be out here, we'd love to say hello to you. If you haven't gotten the MOVE journal, I know we only have a couple weeks of readings, but they are good readings. I have been so blessed by what many of you have written, and there's still two more weeks, and God will use even these two weeks to encourage you and help you on this journey. So I hope you can pick those out at our Next Steps area. Would you join me as we pray? Father God, I, I, I confess to you that I have not always done your will In fact, I have sometimes used the easy way out to say, look, I didn't do that. Like that somehow justifies not loving my neighbor. I pray that you'll forgive me. I pray, I repent. I, I pray for all of us. For you have called us to be your disciples. You have called us to love. You have said to us that when we Love, we are most like you, for you are love. And it's a challenge for us, Father. And, and you, you, you inspired James to write this, but you also know it's how things get done the right way. It's how the world gets changed. It's how we get changed. It's how your son makes a difference. So help us, Father. Help us to love our neighbors. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org.
1: Welcome to your journey.